0: All right, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. Ben, how we doing? Doing all right. Another week into the offseason. <laughs> Another closer
1: to the draft being here.
0: Yeah, it's AKA, it's February 16. <laughs> there's, there's not a whole lot going on, Ben. It's kind of the dark period. You know, the Super Bowl is over. We're still about two weeks from the combine, but that'll be here before we know it. And then it'll be off and running in, in this offseason from the draft process to free agency. Donors meeting shortly after that. I'll be picking up, but I'm kind of enjoying this. It's that uh, that weird period (laughs) where you wake
1: up and you don't really know what to do. You might have one or two tasks and you're just like, okay, enjoy this while it's here because right around the corner is a whole bunch of stuff.
0: Well, after working every day, basically for like seven months, I'm embracing. I'm embracing the lull. I really am. (laughs) The combine can wait. You mean Uh, our, our vacation home? Yeah, no, no. I think we could have saved a lot of money by just like buying a condo or something in Indianapolis instead of... Spending, I don't know, a week's worth of our lives in hotels
1: there—the <laughs> third week in a calendar year. Yeah. Now, yeah. what do
0: you think of the Super Bowl?
1: Oh, great, fantastic game. Obviously, a little slow down there in the final minute with the controversial penalty, but just a top-notch across-the-board game with two top seeds going at it. Man, it was a—I mean, that's what you want in a Super Bowl, right there.
0: It was just high-level play. I watched it with someone who is not a football person. They were really into the commercials, <laughs> but no. But I was trying to explain, like. OK, this play that, that, that just happened, you have to understand that there's 30 teams in the league that can't make this play yeah. because they don't have Patrick Mahomes or, or maybe Jalen Hurts. And it, I mean, it was just a high level of play and not just play, but coaching, too. It was enjoyable. You know, I saw some encouraging signs for the Lions, right, because they have their own inventive offensive play caller. You know, I, I think there are leaps and bounds away from... Like, listen, you put Jared Goff in that game and that offense in that game versus either Mahomes or or Hertz. I mean, listen, Jared Goff's played very well, done very well for himself. The Lions' offense has done very well for itself. But I don't know how you can watch that game and think they're going toe to toe with yeah with with Mahomes or Hertz for that matter, right? Like those. I mean, it's just it's hard to fathom just how good Patrick Mahomes is. And I think as long as that guy is healthy, or apparently you know, 60% healthy, I think it's going to be difficult for the entire rest of the league to catch up, particularly a, a team like the Lions that don't have, I mean, they don't have that mobility of quarterback that just completely changes the game.
1: Yeah. And then you see Jalen Hurts and just how much better he's gotten from when the Lions played the Eagles early in the season. I mean, that dude was playing absolutely out of his mind and it's just like, okay, that's what the next level or maybe two levels away looks right, right there. But no, no, without questioning, any re-pulling those two beautifully designed Touchdown plays in the late mm. third quarter, and fourth quarter, the motion out of the backfield mm. you know, using more gadgets. We you know, Ben Johnson's like save clip, save clip right there. <laughs> I mean, that's like his type of, that's his type of stuff right there. Big guys in space and using your speedy creators. Just, I mean, getting your guys
0: open. It was beautiful, beautiful stuff. So speaking of Ben Johnson, we, you know, we opened up the, uh, the mailbag this week. And so that's the director we're going to go. There's just not a lot going on. It's a kind of a good opportunity, I think, to, to slow down a little bit and take the questions that are out there and just, you know, just proceed in that direction. There's been a lot of things that have happened in the last couple of weeks, Ben, one of which, or many of which is moves in the coaching staff. With the additions of guys like Dre Bly and and so on as positional coaches, you have the return of Aaron Glenn, and of course, notably the return of Ben Johnson. So we'll we'll start the mailbag there, Ben. I got a question from Mick asking, what do you make of the coaching moves the Lions have made in the last few weeks? Your your thoughts on some of the moves that have transpired.
1: Yeah, Dan Campbell is consistent in what he's looking for, and I think he's got a pretty good grip on what he's looking for because, I mean, you mentioned Jerry Bly, new tight ends coach, Steve Hydon, NFL guys, more NFL guys, his new assistant head coach, running back coach, another former player that's, like, been around the league, been a lot of spots and, like, earned his respect as a coach for the past decade, too, and Scotty Montgomery. And then even moving Tanner Ingstrom to that passing game coordinator role, you know, we kind of all wondered what was going to happen with him. When the kind of pieces were moving around and they announced a new tight ends coach. And I think Tanner's had an interesting kind of connection because, I mean, when, when Ben got his promotion, Tanner got his promotion. So it's kind of been like Ben takes a step up, Tanner takes a step up. So it's, I mean, you see a lot of guys get promoted from within and you see the type of guy that Dan's looking for. And I just think uh, no, no reason to sound the alarms. You know, I think they were able to fill the holes that they had very nicely and move some pieces around to the way that you kind of would expect them to.
0: Yeah. In terms of the personality fits and whatnot, I mean, you know, Dre Bly is a good example of that, right? Guy who played in the league a long time, even during the same era as as Dan Campbell. I am interested to see how the Dre Bly hire unfolds. And I don't know enough. I haven't talked to anyone he's coached or anyone from North Carolina, which is where he was previously. So, you know, I mean, maybe he's got the goods. The numbers do not reflect that. No. North Carolina was terrible, yeah. terrible against the pass during Dribbley's time there. He has no NFL coaching experience. He certainly, again, is the biographical fit for what Dan Campbell's looking for. He's gonna, he's gonna be, uh, he's he's gonna mesh real well in the break room now in Mountain Park. You know, he's. got as much experience as anyone on that staff but i think there's a lot to be proven about him as a as a coach and to me ben like when i heard that it's clearly dan campbell taking a chance on a guy yeah um you know, he's got confidence that Dre Bly can do it, but Dre Bly has not demonstrated that he can coach on this level. And there was some struggles from his guys at North Carolina. So it'll be, that That was the one hire that I saw. All the other ones make sense, just given backgrounds and previous stops. But uh, the Dre Bly thing threw me just a little bit because of the lack of experience, per se. And I enjoyed the fan reaction to the Dre Bly hire a lot.
1: It's like, (laughs) <laughs> a fan favorite from some very dark times around these parts. But then they also look at the North Carolina stats, too. And they're like, we love the guy, so he gets a shot. So yeah,
0: yeah we'll see definitely for sure, though. But uh, another fun addition for us, at least. Yeah, no doubt. To me, Ben, nothing is more fun on the coaching staff than the return of Ben Johnson. Yeah. And that was the, the segue. But, you know, Ben, he just was so good as a, as a tight ends coach. You know, when he took over the tight ends in 2020, TJ Hawkinson, and he made a Pro Bowl led all NFC tight ends and catches. TJ has talked a lot about how much Ben meant to him. Ben Johnson, his background, I mean, it's been all over the offensive side of the ball, but he he was a receivers coach down in Miami, worked with Travis Landry and some other guys, and he brought that kind of more receiving aspect to the tight end position, and upturned TJ Hawkinson into who he is today. And then, obviously, they thought a lot of him because when they were making the changes back in 2021, Dan Campbell tapped Ben Johnson to basically take over the passing game and the passing game instantly improved, and Jared Goff couldn't stop singing his praises, and you get to last offseason, and when they fired Anthony Lynn, you know, Dan Campbell could have gone a lot of different directions with that position, and and he went with a, a 35, or then 34-year-old tight ends coach with no play-calling experience, and it was a massive success, Ben. And I mean, you can't throw a rock in Allen Park without hitting somebody in the face who is singing the praises of Ben Johnson. <laughs> yeah. like, it's just, I don't want to get dramatic, but Players themselves verbatim have called him genius. Yep. So clearly he connects very well to those guys. That speaks for itself. And then we see the concepts on the field and the sequence play calling is just fantastic. With the way he sets up plays, it's not he's not just calling plays in a vacuum. It's like, I want to call this play to set up this next play to get to this third play that's going to hit somebody for a big gain or a touchdown or what have you. We've seen it. The Paday pass was maybe the yeah. best example of sending him in motion time after time. And then you got 330 pound man coming around the edge with a full head of steam as a blocker that's tough enough to stop but then boom you hit him with the pass there's nothing minnesota could have done bringing back ben johnson a guy who got three head coaching looks this year was you know gonna get a second look in in charlotte with the carolina panthers to get him back was a coup i think for this offense and i, I think they would have been okay without him but clearly they're better off with ben johnson and that to me is i mean the biggest move of this offseason so far.
1: Oh, absolutely. We talked about how important Jared Goff was to this operation. I mean, you talk about how important Ben Johnson has been to Jared Goff. From last season, the big story is Johnson sitting down with Goff to watch his film from his past stops from his first season to Detroit and Jared talking about that at OTAs. I mean, it was like the first changing of Jared Goff's personality around these parts. It was genuine like that's awesome, man. I feel like I've earned that. I feel like I do deserve a say on this offense. And I mean, from there, ball is running. Their, their chemistry, their connection. Jared had that strong finish in 2021. Jared had what this past year was, which was a complete changing of the conversation regarding his game. And I mean, that's, that's Ben Johnson, man. And that's, that's why that move is so important. It's just, I mean, you want to keep this thing moving in the right direction. I think, I mean, he's 1A, 1B at the top of the list. But things that helped this thing move and where
0: it was going. Sticking with the offense, Jeremy Friedrichs asks... Obviously, the expectations for Jameson Williams will be sky high next year, but do you think the Lions will be hesitant to re-sign DJ Chark or a similar style wide receiver if they think it will hinder Williams' progress? I think the Lions are going to make every attempt to re-sign DJ Tark. They were a better offense when he was at his best down the stretch, far better. It unlocked the the deep passing game. Jerry Goff played his best, most efficient, most explosive football down the stretch, was the second highest rated quarterback in December and January. And and DJ Tark's health and productivity down the field was a big reason for that. Of course, the expectation is that Jamison Williams will will become that that vertical deep threat, the featured guy down the field. This is a better offense with DJ Chark, and I think they're going to make an attempt to re-sign him. Having said that, Ben, DJ Chark came here for two reasons. One was to have the opportunity to be a featured vertical guy, which might not happen going forward, and basically to parlay a big season in Detroit into a long-term contract of free agency, the kind of thing he couldn't find last year because he was coming off the ankle injury. So it'll be, I think the Lions will have interest in bringing back DJ Chark. I'm curious to see if DJ Chark has interest in returning to the Lions. I'm sure he has interest, but you know, money talks, playing time talks, guys are looking for those two things more than anything else in free agency. And with the way Chark played down the stretch, he might find a better opportunity elsewhere.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, just look the last offseason and the type of money wide receivers were signing deals for and making. And I mean, you look at DJ Chark on the last five, six, seven weeks and you're like, yeah, he fits that mold. I mean, he does. I mean, he's when he's healthy, I mean, he has proven what he is. Absolutely. Uh, and I agree with you. I expect them to try and get him, but I mean, it's, it's a very real possibility to get priced out on that market. And if they do get priced out on that market, I don't think they'll be hesitant because you know, you've heard them talk about Jeff Okuda. This was his rookie season. I think they're looking at next season as Jamison's rookie season. So I don't, I, I would kind of, if they get priced out on chart, look for another similar one year deal for a X type guy who can eat 20 to 30 snaps. Cause they need some height and they need some length. They need some run after the catch ability on the outside and i think they'll try and move jamo around a little bit more still but just because he's that type of athlete that type of guy and i don't think they'll be hesitant at all i, I expect them to try and get shark and if they don't i expect them to fill that hole no doubt like i agree with you so
0: sticking with the the free agent topic for a second ben uh, carl kuster asks who are some free agents that you think the Lions will sign to a contract extension prior to the legal tampering period you know i i do think Shark will be one of those guys they try again. I don't know if they will find success. I think one name for sure that you and I can agree on that, that the Lions will make an attempt to resign. And I think a deal will get done is, is John Kaminsky. Yes. Right? Yeah. Four sacks last year, 12 quarterback hits. It was by far a, a career season for that guy. And it wasn't just the production, it was the way he teed up others mm. for plays. You know, I think half of Aiden Hutchinson's sacks in the first month of the season were teed up by by John Kaminsky. He's got the flexibility to play inside and out. He's just a fit. He checks all the boxes. Like the Lions will have better players than John Kaminsky, but you players are a better fit. And, and Kaminsky told me, I, I talked to him in the locker room in Green Bay. I mean, yeah. the, the season had just ended a few minutes before and I'd asked him about his future. And you do have to, you have to take into account sometimes the emotional context, right? When you ask them these questions. So of course, a guy probably in, in, in the immediate aftermath of a game like that is going to be like, yeah, I really want to come back. But I thought it was really telling that Kaminsky told me that he, had, at that point, he had already spoken to both coaches and the front office about his desire to come back. And and Brad Holmes uh, told me after the season I'd asked him about this topic of bringing free agents back, and I specifically mentioned John Kaminsky, and he said Kaminsky, as well as a bunch of other guys, had already told him they wanted to come back personally, which I think you know speaks. Yeah. Highly of the rebuild and the health of the the culture here, but specifically it, with Kaminsky, I think it's inevitable that something gets done.
1: Shoot. Later that week, he tagged the Lions on Instagram saying, hey, Lions fans, tell him I want to come back. So I think that the emotions held through the week for him, but full agreement on that one. And then I think Alex Anzalone fits that mold for sure. I could see him getting another one year deal, maybe a two year deal, but I just think he'll be at the top of that list. And I think a, a name that we're not, I think Deshaun Elliott will be in that conversation too, just because I think he was really important to the run defense. And I think there's some holes in that secondary and Tracy Walker working back. I could see him and then Obviously, there's one big name left on that list that we don't really know what the heck is Jamal Williams. I I, I don't know what's going to happen there. I think both sides would like a reunion, but after the season he had, there's some money to be made potentially.
0: So there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, you mentioned Anzalone. I think that Another one-year deal would make sense for the Lions because they love his leadership. Mm-hmm. Like, he's had back-to-back career seasons since coming here. I, I think his career season, quote-unquote, in 2021 was a function of having almost nothing around him. Yeah. I think last year, he really did elevate his play, and I'm I'm a, I'm a big skeptic. I, I, I've i always thought the Lions could do better. Last year, like, he played completely serviceable middle linebacker. You know, like, he wasn't a star, but he played at a level you can win with, mm-hmm. which is maybe something I hadn't personally seen from him before. The thing is, is that he was, you know, good enough last year and has big enough numbers that he might find a multi-year deal somewhere else, you know? So it'll be, again, kind of like the chart thing. I don't know if the two sides would totally align on a new deal, but a new deal makes sense if Anzalone doesn't find a better offer elsewhere. With Deshaun Elliott, I completely agree that bringing him back makes sense for Detroit. I don't know if it makes sense for Deshaun Elliott. Tracy Walker signed a huge contract extension just last offseason. There's two more years left in that deal. And they just drafted Kirby Joseph, who had a really good rookie season. That's the future is Tracy Walker and, and Kirby Joseph. And of course, the Lions want a good quality third safety. And Deshaun Elliott is that. I think Deshaun Elliott views himself as a starter. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that he played down the stretch last year proved that he can be a starter in this league. And I think he's, just based on conversations I've personally had with the people close to that situation, I think he's going to pursue his opportunities elsewhere. I, I do not expect Deshaun Elliott to be back. And, and as you say, Ben, Jamal Williams, big wild card. That's yeah. what I wrote in my notes going into this. You know, it, On the one hand, it makes a lot of sense. The production speaks for itself. The leadership speaks for itself. He is a good guy to have around in all the ways that you can have a good think around. He turns 28 this spring. He's coming off a really high usage, like the biggest usage of, of his career in back-to-back years. DeAndre Swift has not Lived up to expectations, has been a, a real injury guy throughout his career. I mean, really, I mean, going back to high school, really. So I think the Lions have s- such issues at running back that they're going to need. I think it's inevitable they draft somebody, right? To, to, yeah, to solidify the long term future. And maybe Jamal Williams fits into that picture on another one year deal, but, but maybe not. Yeah. I mean, he's due for a big pay raise. I just don't know if he's going to get in Detroit. Yeah. And I, I don't think a multi
1: year deal for Jamal makes too much sense for the Lions. I think another year, let him it. <laughs> just because, like you said, it's the it's the DeAndre Swift problem in the room that makes Jamal that much valuable for the Lions because you don't have a reliable hand that you can count on. We've seen it every time DeAndre surpasses like 15, 16 touches. He's banged up for the next month, so it's just like there's a pretty big hole in that backfield without Jamal there, at least... If something happens to DeAndre, then all of a sudden it's a a pretty disastrous looking situation at the top. You can't get in too deep if you're the Lions because you probably should draft somebody just based on how things are going. But, man, Jamal would sure look nice back there next year. And you know what you're getting in him for sure.
0: Let's take a fun one. Tyler asks, what's the best road trip for an NFL beat writer? Ben, you've taken a few trips. Do you have a, a favorite so far? My
1: favorite so far is the one I just got back from because I was on the ocean. I was in a state I'd never been to. I was in the south eating seafood every night. Now let's be real. I've I've got a been... you gotta
0: you gotta tell people where you were.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mobile Alabama <laughs> apologies. My trips. I was just gonna say my trips though are like the Midwest tour and then mobile. So mobile wins by default by seafood in the ocean.
0: <laughs> hey, I can't I can't disagree with your re- <laughs> rationale. It's been a real pleasure to be on this beach for now, since 2013, so whatever that is, 10 years. And I've gotten to go to some great places. It's a real real privilege. It's been a, a privileged professional life for me. London was probably a highlight. I don't want to get in trouble, but yeah, I was probably out past my bedtime <laughs> the night before the game, having having myself a, a, a real good time. <laughs> I seeing London and Europe, and I got to go to Scotland after that game. So that was the first game against Atlanta mm. in 2014, and they had won on a Matt Prater field goal, which was a big part of their you know push to the, the playoffs that year. And then they had the bye week the following week, so I got to go go to Scotland and hang out for a few days. That was pretty cool. The following year, they went back to London and got smashed in the face by Kansas City. Alex Smith, Kansas City, by the way. (laughs) And it's crazy because I remember talking to Martin Mayhew, the general manager, just a few days before it was a to... so this is, how, this is how you know it was a, a fancy ass hotel, but it had a tea room, like a high tea room. Oh. <laughs> I felt like I was in like Buckingham Palace or something. <laughs> it was just a, a beautiful place. But, and, you know, Mayhew's talking about how Matthew Stafford can make the Hall of Fame and how he's enthused by their, the progress of the, of where they're heading, you know, despite the, what was it, like one in six record or whatever it was at that time. And then a matter of days later, like they just get, destroyed yeah. and the next day i hop on a plane to to malta which is like an island in the in the mediterranean sea because again they had the, their their bye week the, the following week so back then at least you yeah. that was the always came after those international trips and so i had some time so i'm I, and i'm way off the grid i'm in malta like <laughs> way off the grid and i remember getting to the airport i forget exactly where i was but i was pretty off the grid and i got to the airport i remember sitting in the airport and i look at my i finally get like wi-fi or whatever it was and I'm like, oh, Martin Mayhew, fired. Tom Luan, fired. Obviously, a complete reset um, mm-hmm. and, and put us on a path where we are today. But those are pretty great trips. Yeah. On the more traditional path, you know, I always really enjoy Seattle. For the, a similar reason that you enjoy Mobile, which is a uh, big seafood guy. About this? Um, and you know, great coffee. It's like Seattle's one of those places, too. You ever been there? No, it's high on the list. It's like, well, it's, like a, it's a city. But like when you look up in any direction, you see just the most beautiful nature of your life, whether it's the sound one direction, whether it's mountains, the other direction. I don't know, man. It's just a, a place that speaks to me. I, I always love going up there despite the five hour flight or whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> and actually we had to take the Red Eye once because they played that playoff game up oh, there. Oh, that's right. right. Man, oh, yeah. I don't think fan- like Like, I think it's one thing people don't fully realize about life on the road <laughs> as a beat writer. Like sometimes it is a lot of fun. Like I just told some, you know, of some, some awesome places I've been. But like, there's also some horrific experiences and, and covering primetime games is especially difficult. Yeah. Like this Green Bay game in week 18. Yeah. Dude, I didn't go to bed. No. I, I never made it to my bed. Like I had a hotel room for that night. <laughs> never made it there. I was working in the press box. By the time that got done, I had to, to hustle to the uh, the airport to get back for a locker clean out and everything. And yeah, it's it can be a tough life. It's, it's good, but it's tough. Okay, so yeah, let's get back on track. So Eric Mastin, and uh, forgive me, Eric, if I'm, screwing that up but eric wants to know will levi anzarique ever play a down again for the lions i know romeo aquaro was quiet during his rehab process but feel the same with Levi. if he can contribute would really help but seems more like magical thinking also is ragnar's toe a chronic issue or just bad luck this past season so let's take that one by one ben your thoughts on levi and whether he plays again for detroit
1: I don't think it's going to happen. I just, everything we've heard, every update has been worse than the last and it's nothing against the guy. He's obviously tried to get back, but I think there were a lot more deeply rooted problems with his issue coming out of college than maybe that were found coming out. But man, that's two years. I mean, I don't think so. I, I just, I do think it's magical thinking, thinking you'd get anything worthwhile, speaking of production out of him.
0: So yeah, two years in second round pick. He's played 16 games, 396 defensive snaps, has made zero starts, and has one quarterback hit. And if you remember when he was drafted, there was just so much made, including from Levi himself, about how he was going to get after the quarterback. And I believe, if I remember correctly, there was some very colorful language involved. (laughs) And hey, as a beat writer, you love that. I mean, it's like genuine emotion and authenticity versus, you know, being filtered through like a PR speak, you know? So, like... You love the enthusiasm, but a guy who entered the league talking about smashing quarterbacks in the face has one quarterback hit in two seasons. He has more back injuries than he has quarterback hits. Didn't yeah. play last year at all because of back issues was limited throughout the preseason and off season of his rookie year because of back issues. Did play throughout that season, but was a, a limited role off the bench. Back issues are not a good sign typically Ben, for, for an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. Yeah. I mean, those, like for anyone, for that matter, but for guys who mix it up in the trenches, especially that's something that that Haleputi Vedi Vitae is going through now, and you know, so will Vaitai play again for the Lions? I don't know. Right? Will Levi play for the Lions again? You know, it's his year three. We haven't give, been, you know, been given an indication either way. I suspect. That we'll see Levi in a Lions uniform again. He's just young enough that, that they'll give him time to get back. And you know his contract is such that like he, he's not going to get cut, I don't think, this year. But the clock is winding down on him becoming worthy of a second-round pick. And I don't know what his role will look like going forward, Ben. It could be as a deep reserve, a rotational guy. And of course, that wouldn't be worth the second-round pick. I, I just think he's missed so much time. And of course, the risk for re-injury, I think, is so high for a guy who's had three different, like, documented back issues in the last three years, going back to his his time in Washington. I think I wouldn't bet anything on him finding his way to validating that pick. Although I do think that you know he, he's young enough that we'll probably see him in some version at some point.
1: He's young enough, but just I think the accelerated state of the rebuild is going to work against him too, because I mean, you expect them to one spot, you expect them to improve this offseason. season, this interior defensive line. And I mean, even if he's back on the field fight for his spot, I mean, it's an even more uphill battle than it was the previous two seasons, because like you said, that first year played 16 games, did nothing in those games and then had another back issue. So it's just, yeah. it's, it's a, it's an extreme uphill battle that it's just, it's too bad for him. I mean, it's nothing against him. It's bad luck and it happens, but I, I
0: just don't see it happening. So the back half of Eric's question was about Ragnar's toe. And just to quickly adjust, address that, Ragnar's injury with the toe this past year was the same toe that he hurt. It was the same, same foot, same area as the injury he suffered in 2021 that limited him to four games. They were different injuries. So I think, having spoken to some people around that situation, that there's a hope that he'll be able to shake it. Shake, shake the toe stuff with ample rest this offseason. I don't think that he's going to require surgery based on what I've heard, although that's not definitive. But of course, again, kind of like Levi having recurring back issues, having toe issues for an offensive lineman is also a bad sign. And I think that there's a, a an elevated risk for, for re-injury. But I think on this day, there's at least some hope that it won't be a chronic issue, given that they were at least different injuries the past two seasons. So TBD, but uh, you know it's not turning in a good direction. Yeah. So moving along, Elvis Wind on Twitter asks, "What is the number one move the Lions should make to avoid offensive regression in terms of adding players through the draft and free agency?" Ben, do you have a, a roadmap? Do you have like a three that the Lions need to address to avoid regression? I, and, and I and, and just to say quickly, like I think that's a good question because mm. this past season was the best Lions season I've I've seen that's the best football i've seen them play since 2014 when they went 11 and 5 and there was a lot of expectation going into 2015 that hey this team that that took the division to the last day of the season was going to like become a contender and take the next step and it went the opposite direction they went one and seven to start that season and they never attained that kind of play again not until this past year down the stretch so I, i think it's important that they don't you know, rest on what they did down the stretch. I mean they didn't do anything, they didn't win anything, you know, and they they have work to do going forward to avoid the the kind of regression that did occur the last time they played that well. So where do you see where do you see them making that kind of addition?
1: It's between a potential interior offensive line starter, but I, I'll go with keeping someone in that X receiver role, you know, whether that's DJ Chark on another short term deal or whether that's somebody else to fill that role on a short term deal because Jamison Williams is the future. That I don't think you should put all of your bushels into the, that basket. At least for 2023, get him a year where he can bounce around some and not be that go-to guy. I mean, you want to keep that room deep because that was the thing that was so beautiful about that passing attack down the stretch is yes, the multifunctionality of it. But Jared Goff has thrown it around to everyone. There were multiple games where he hit eight, nine, ten guys, and I think to keep that offense going, to keep Goff going in the right direction, to give Ben Johnson the tools he has that that is paramount to the success of this offense. And I mean, I, I think. Th- they would be okay if they have to rely on Jameson Williams more. But I think a Chark or a Chark-type guy for that X role is really, really important to keep this thing moving.
0: I, I can't disagree with that. And to the question, you know, they're basically asking us to to rank what's the biggest move they need to do to avoid regression. And that's kind of hard for me to do mm-hmm. because I'm, I I see a number of, of needs they must address to avoid mm-hmm. regression, and you nailed one of them. I think they also need, and you alluded to it, is guard. Yeah. Jonah Jackson is is really, really good. I actually I really enjoy watching him play. He is so good, so good at getting to the second level mm-hmm. for a guard, you know, and 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 DeAndre Swift and, and Jamal Williams have picked up a lot of yards, following that guy. Uh, and, and touchdowns, for that matter, following that guy to the second and third levels of the defense. I don't know what he's going to command in the next contract, but you're already paying Vitae. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's a lot of money. So you've got, already got a lot of money tied up in Vitae, a guard. Jonah Jackson's heading into a contract year. And it'll be interesting for me to see how the Lions attack the situation because he's a good player. And he's an important cog to this this offense. And to that end, they could look to extend him. But there is a school of thinking in the NFL, and we saw it with the last regime, correctly or not, that they didn't want to invest a lot of money in the guard position. They, they saw guards as kind of interchangeable. Of course, some guys are better than others, but the last regime believed it could draft and develop a guard that, you know, instead of resigning Graham Glasgow, basically, right? And it'll be interesting to see whether the Lions pursue that avenue with, with Jonah Jackson or whether they look to resign him. And if they do look to resign him, then Vitae, like he probably is done, because you can't you can't pay two guards that kind of money. Of course, the Guardians could also draft a guy to play that position, in which case that would be a huge need in in this in this draft. And they have the extra picks to do it, Ben. But it'll be interesting this, for me to see whether they do. They, I think, they have a giant hole at tight end, and I know they got by with Brock Wright as their number one guy last year. But I don't think they have a number one tight end right now. Not a number one. I mean, they don't have a Kelsey or one of those top kind of guys. And not to say you need a Kelsey to win in this league. You don't. You clearly don't. The Lions won 8 out of 10 without TJ Hawkinson. But in today's NFL, it makes a huge difference when you do have a problem at that spot. And the Lions just don't. And of course, at running back, which we already addressed, so we don't have to get too far into it. But Jamal Williams, is he can become a free agent in March. He'll be 28 next season. Even if he's back, DeAndre Swift is going into a contract year, and he's never been healthy. And I think the Lions will be reticent to give him any kind of long-term deal. So that being said, I see running back, we're talking about avoiding regression, mm-hmm. and you're a team that wants to win with physical brand of football and, and controlling the games on the ground, which line, that's what the Lions want to do. They want to control games on the ground. You need a running back to do that. And there's some long-term issues there. Moving along, Bruton E on Twitter asks, is interior offensive line a possibility had <laughs> pick number 18 in the draft if things don't change via trades? And are any prospects worth it? Ben, have you done that research? I mean, give us any thoughts. There's
1: the Osiris Torrance kid from Florida, is probably yeah. the top guard guy on the board. You know, unfortunately, you know, I kind of fell in love with Zion Johnson last year out of Boston College. I, I don't see that type of guy for the Lions on day one, but Torrance, the big dude out of Florida. And then there's a Cody Maude, I believe it's a North Dakota State. I mean, he was, he was a full time right tackle. Got to meet him at the Senior Bowl a little bit. He was playing center, mm-hmm. he was playing guard. He is projected as a guard at the next level. I think that's a perfect, like, late second, third-round pick type guy. But I don't see guard in the cards at pick 18. You know, I Osiris is the guy that could push for that. That's,
0: that's kind of my read on the situation right now, but
1: I don't see it.
0: I, I think that, you know... If Brad Holmes had a bunch of picks to play with, I I think guards high in the draft, whether that's first or second round, would be in the cards. Look at his drafts, man. Like he has he has spent the first two drafts in Detroit really targeting his his trenches on both sides of the ball. You know, obviously Aiden Hutchinson at the top of last year's draft, but Josh Pascal in the second round. Year before that, you know, they had had all kinds of needs and they they drafted Penne Sewell, an offensive tackle when they already had some offensive tackle depth. And then second, third round, he went defensive tackle, yeah. defensive <laughs> tackle <laughs> with Anzarique and Ali McNeil. You know, everyone in the NFL or even college football for that matter, they talk about building through the trenches, winning in the trenches. Some teams actually do it or attempt to do it. Mm-hmm. And the Lions are one of those teams that's actually putting its money where its mouth is. So, you know, I, I think that he would love to draft a guard. I think that you're going to find better value on a guard on day two of the draft. Yeah at the earliest, especially with some talent already in house and significant needs on defense. And and when you're trying to push for a, a division title next year, I, I think that they're going to look to go defense, defense. And if they do take an offensive player on the first day of the draft, I just, I don't think it's going to be a guard. I just yeah. think you'll find, you can find good talent in the second and third rounds, just like, just like Don Jackson was yeah, a third rounder. It's was okay. like Graham Glasgow before that third rounder. Mm-hmm. Torrance is a nice player though. Yeah, he's a big <laughs> man too, for sure. Six five, three thirty seven. Yeah, he's, he's a big dude. Oh, yeah. Let's do another fun one. So Daniel Hall asks, talk to me about questioning strategy for press conferences. Do you guys coordinate with other beat writers to make sure everything gets covered? Do you decide on the fly sometimes what to ask about? Is it often to pull out info that, to include in a specific article? Go into each day with like kind of an idea, you know? I mean, once you get into
1: it deeper, you're going with the flow of things too. It's more of a natural going with the flow of things too. But shoot, just my note app on my phone when I park my car in the morning in Allen Park, usually I write down a player's name. I write down a couple of questions just to have, just in case. The lucky thing with our beat is we've worked with each other for so long now. We're kind of like a well-oiled machine.
0: Yeah, so the part of the question is asking if there's coordination between the beat writers. And Uh, I've never experienced that. That's I've been doing this since 2000. 13 on the Lions B. I covered Michigan for two years before that. that. It doesn't work like that anywhere. But I do find that writers kind of fall into their their roles. Like, for example, I think Dave Brickett of the Free Press or Justin Rogers of the Detroit News typically take the first question. That's just kind of the flow of it. Maybe Tim Twentyman, the team reporter. Occasionally, I'll, I'll wake up on the right side of the bed and I'll jump in with the first question. <laughs> Number one. Especially if I have one that I think others are going to ask, but maybe I, I want to ask it mm-hmm. for a particular reason or phrase it a, a certain way or what have you, then I'll jump in. But yeah, there's not there's not like proper coordination though. Where we do have coordination is sometimes we'll pull together the transcription of the yeah, conference, oh God, which saves yeah. a lot of time. But in terms of you know deciding on the fly to ask about. I am sometimes like that, but more often I'm thinking about questions maybe on my way into the building or sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm in the show. When you live this every single yeah. day, it's kind of just a flow operation once you get yeah. into it too. But I will say typically the questions are better when you have a specific article in mind yeah. and you know where it's going and you know, you have a specific question that you want answered. I, one thing that drives me crazy and of course I'm not going to drop any names, but <laughs> some people are worse than others. And on the lion's beat, but other beats in general too, like you hear certain people asking questions just to ask a question. It just me a little crazy. Like yeah. you, can, you can tell that it's not going anywhere and it's not going to be used for a story. It's kind of just wasting everyone's time. And you typically get, I, I find personally that you get better responses when you already have a story in the works and you have mm-hmm. a specific ask, a specific thing that you want answered. That kind of sharpens the question up a little bit. You tend you tend to get something better than if it's just, oh, hey, how did this guy play on this particular day? Right. That, a general question is going to get a general response. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Always go into it with something to bake at least a little bit. So Jeff Barda wants to know, with combine fast approaching, which prospects other than quarterbacks could you see having a Trayvon Walker type showing exploding up draft boards, potentially becoming a top 10 selection against the likes of the current media mock draft gurus. I think he's just asking what player is poised to, to move up boards. And that did happen with Trayvon Walker last year. He, I mean, he was a big man who ran well, was strong as shit. And yeah. and, and, I, and it really like elevated. It, it gave him the momentum needed to get to the top spot over Aiden Hutchinson, which yeah. was to the line benefit because they, <laughs> they wanted Aiden over everyone. So it worked out for them. And the combine starts in two weeks. So it's not that far away. Do you have a guy in mind that might be a candidate to, to rise up boards?
1: I have three guys in mind, actually. Oh, baby. Dewan Jones, the massive offensive tackle from Ohio State, six foot eight, 370 pounds. No, there was only one player at the Senior Bowl among offensive linemen that had a wingspan within five inches of his. The longest, like, get a dude like that. If he moves well on the field, he's going to dominate yeah. headlines for a day and a half there. The other is a Clemson Eds rusher, Miles Murphy. I started looking into him the second I saw Pro Football Focus call him this year's Trayvon Walker. I immediately get it. Like, that dude can move. He's big. He's just one of those freaky guys. And then the third one, real quickly, is a personal kind of favorite fit of mine. A linebacker, Dion Henley out of Washington State. I think if he shows up as heavy as he was at the end of the season, moving as well as he does, as a former receiver, turn kick returner, turn safety, slot corner, turn linebacker, I mean that That's the type of guy that you really want to see how he moves, how he lifts. I mean that's that that's the type of player where everything matters, and I think if he has a big week, he could kind of go into that day one conversation.
0: so those are my three so i had I had two, and I wrote about them both One was Murphy, just when you're talking about the combine, it's the big <laughs> fast guys who quote unquote climb up boards that week. you saw it with Trayvon Walker last year, and I say quote unquote because I think something that sometimes gets lost in this debate is like. It's the public narrative that's catching up to where guys are. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, we had this guy down here. Now he's up here because of the way he performed. Or maybe vice versa, a guy who doesn't test well. But I think what gets lost in that conversation, Ben, is that that's different than the actual team boards. Yeah, And I think that, that it's more rare than people think where a guy actually truly moves up and down boards in a dramatic way based on the combine. You know, just talking to guys in the league, scouts, and front office people over the the many years. You know, it, like teams. You know, people people in the game tell me. You know, it's it's confirmation. The 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 combine is confirmation of what you already know from the tape. Because these guys, I mean, for a lot of these prospects, the lines have been watching them for years, yeah. and particularly in the last year. I mean, you know, that like there's no one who's going to sneak up on these guys. Now, if a guy runs way slower than expected, like a tease table from a few years ago. Then it's going to send you back to the tape and you have to determine, okay, why did he run slow? Does he still play fast? You know, how how concerned should we be that he didn't run fast? And then you continue the evaluation that way. But of course, some guys will test better than you expect. And then you have to go back to the tape and figure out, okay, is this guy just like training for a track meet this offseason and he'll be tested? Well, he's not actually a fast football player. Or maybe is well, wait, did he play slow in the games because of maybe he was in a bad scheme for his skill set or was surrounded by poor talent or was making up for misassignments around him or any number of other variables that can affect a player's play speed and maybe he's faster than he looks on tape so I think that's way more common than an actual player actually like blowing onto a team's board or falling down a team's board based on the combined performance but having said all that yeah Murphy I think is one of those guys that will. He solidify his public stock because he's so big, six foot five and like I don't know, two ninety-five or something like yeah, that.
1: I'm, he's pushing 300 and moving. Yeah. The,
0: uh, and yeah. and he's got elite speed. You already covered him. So my my other guy, Kaylee Ringo, the Georgia corner. I mean, again, it's it's the same thing with the guys up front. If you're big and fast at the combine, you're you're gonna quote unquote win the combine. And not that Ringo is gonna sneak up on any teams, including the Lions, but if, when you have a cornerback who is six foot two and 215 pounds and is going to run like yeah. one of the best corners in the country. Yeah, he's going to make headlines. That guy, That's a guy to me, I can already see the headlines. That's going to, you know, quote unquote, win the combine. I keep saying quote unquote because <laughs> it's, it's all based on public perception Goodness. catching up to where the teams already are. I'm not saying he's like climbing up Lions boards, but I think a guy like Ringo I mean, he could play himself into the first round conversation publicly, you know, with uh, analysts and, and these gurus and so forth, mm-hmm. just based on the measurables. Because a guy who's that big and, and that fast at that position with closing speed, it's a unicorn.
1: No, absolutely. And I especially, that's a good pick. I like that name just because that's an easy name to fall in love with as a two-time champion at Georgia who started yeah. on both those teams. but. Especially in like, just last point on that is like there are five or six potential first round corners. It's a beautiful time to separate yourself for the pack, or at least to reaffirm something they already knew about you when it's that close in the pecking order. Trying to pick between two guys you love at the top, but for sure, combine's the weirdest event I've ever been to, and I go to. It's it's such a strange event. Such what do we call it? The underwear Olympics. Yeah. We don't even get I to watch that. the Olympics.
0: <laughs> it's a cliche. It's a cliche. But the first time I heard underwear Olympics, I think it was probably my first year covering. This the supper something. I I don't know. It was a long time ago and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> sense you know? <laughs> But yeah, that, that's also a misnomer that people have. They think like we're going to the combine to come to the combine and I'm like, No, we don't get to we don't get to see one second of the combine. It's literally prohibited. There's a, a small group of pool reporters who can go and watch and take mm-hmm. notes and then disseminate that information to other reporters. But more commonly we're just watching on T V like everyone else. Mm-hmm. The benefit of going to Indianapolis to cover this is all the interviews you get to do because awesome. you get to talk to so many of these players. There's all kinds of agents in town, coaches, general managers. We'll have conversations with Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes when we're down there in a couple of weeks. So it's more about that 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 end of it, not actually watching a guy. Rough, or... it's, I've, I've gone to like 12 combines, I think, and <laughs> oh. I've never actually seen a single a single Florida. <laughs> but you're spoiled because you get you know, they have in the convention center now yeah. our, our media set up and it's like A well-oiled machine, but until maybe 2016 or so, they threw us basically in this like cafeteria area. Oh. And I mean, like I was getting there early just to like throw my stuff down and and get a seat because like there's people who wouldn't get like seats to work because it was so cramped.
1: So every day was like the senior bowl breakfast. Yeah.
0: Good. Yeah. Yeah,
1: That's a well-oiled machine. You go to one room, you're there for five hours. You go to the next
0: room, you're there for four hours. And <laughs> it's, well, they have a schedule too, whereas before it was just like, like, let's say you're going like, like I went there to cover Denard. Okay. Like yep. my first time at the combine, I was there to cover Denard Robinson. <laughs> and so you're just sitting like, you know, the the day that he'll go, the quarterbacks could go, I think it was like a one or two day stretch, but you have no idea when. And so you're just sitting there all day waiting to hear over the intercom, Denard Robinson, table three or podium two or whatever. Nowadays it's all scheduled, but like, so that like you can target all the guys and have a game plan going in. Back then though, man, like you could be waiting to talk to three or four guys and yeah. not hear any names for four hours and then hear all those names back to back within a one minute span and then you're screwed. It's crazy. Anyway. Yeah. It's been crazy to see because I think the first year that I went to the combine, it was like maybe 600 cred- credential reporters, maybe 700. Nowadays, it's like 1100, 1200, 1300. I think like it's it basically doubled in size in five to 10 years. It's pretty crazy. Ben, we're out of questions. We're out of questions? Yep. You did it. Yep good stuff I, I always enjoy the mailbags I, I enjoy the written mailbags too but it's always fun to take it to the podcast too and
1: especially this time of year
0: yeah I mean nice. there's not much else going on right now it's kind of a dark period but stuff we'll be picking up going forward we'll start rolling out our combine previews next week I, I suppose we'll have our mock drafts next week as well cool. mock correct. drafts 1.0 so we'll yeah well, I'm sure we'll be back breaking down our mock drafts next week and uh, then it's the combine after that and we'll be off and running you No know, right. get your rest I'll right. try
1: This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of M Live Detroit Lions. People, thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom and M Live Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts: Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again.